Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Norris, lead pastor at Perimeter Church. To my right is uh, Caleb Click. To my left is Bob Cargo as we join you again uh, to dig deeper as you're part of your teaching team here at Perimeter Church uh, to engage in what we've been teaching through uh, as a church, which is the book of Exodus, and to press it in in ways that we perhaps weren't able to in our Sunday morning sermons and uh, to help you apply it to your everyday life as a follower of Christ, as one who is hopefully even seeking to make disciples. And so that's kind of the heart of this podcast. The name is self-explanatory at some level. Uh, we do want to dig deeper we want to we want to see what God would have us is where He would have us as we mine the text a little bit more, and uh, so Caleb and Bob, thanks for joining me again today. Um, here's where I'd like for us to start. I want us to start with us. Uh, we had kind of said last episode that we wanted to have listeners send in questions. We'll get to a couple of those at the end of our time together today, but I want to start asking us a question, which is when we think about our own hearts and our own engagement with the scriptures during this series, as we've prepared uh, to teach the book of Exodus and even have listened to each other teach these passages, um, what have we gleaned? What are things that we have learned that the Lord has stirred in us uh, that would be uh, worth sharing to say, yeah, this is what God's been pressing pressing into me out of this study of the first 15 chapters of Exodus. What would you say? I mean, I guess I can go first. Uh, my first two would be fairly straightforward ones, but they're just good reminders as I'm coming back into Exodus and, and immersing myself in the story again. The first is uh, something I remember seeing in Richard Sibbs, but you see painted all over the book of Exodus, is that misery is a magnet for God's mercy that God's, God's heart is drawn to those who are in need. Um, it's not repelled by it. It's not disgusted by it, but rather God cares deeply for those who are broken, who are hurting, who are enslaved. And uh, he moves, his, his, his mercy moves him to action. Um, and I think that's the second piece is that you look at this book and you very clearly see that God's the one who saves. Uh, not even Moses is really an, an actor in this story, except reluctantly. He almost gets dragged along. Uh, God is coming to save a people who do absolutely nothing. And in fact, all they really offer to the story is kind of some some grumbling and occasionally some praise, but mostly grumbling. <laughs> and, and God still redeems them fully and completely. And the third thing is just something I... I noticed this morning, I was reading through just the, the the chapters that we've taught on before, and I came across a piece I just hadn't thought on very much. In chapter 13, verse 17, uh, it says this, says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, the land of the Philistines, excuse me, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, what struck me with that is, is that second piece that Israel leaves the land of Egypt equipped for battle, but God knows they're not ready for war. Uh, he knows that if they go the way of the Philistines and they engage in actual combat, that they're going to freak out and go back to Egypt no matter what. And so he takes them to 
the Red Sea and eventually to the wilderness, which to them seems like death, to them seems like a detour, to them uh, seems like the last place they would possibly want to be. But God takes them there because he actually knows their weakness. He knows them better than they know themselves. And, and, and in some ways, he takes them there to prepare them so that they're not just equipped for battle, but actually ready for it. And, and I wonder, just as I was reading, I think, man, how often is on our lives are we like that? Like we're equipped, but we're not ready. And, and God knows that. And he's working through our circumstances to prepare us and shape us and mold us into what he desires us to be. And you're seeing that play out right here in the life of the people of Israel. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I think um, the, the, the thought of, and we've, we've talked about this a lot on Sunday mornings, but to what you said there, Caleb, the thought of how God would lead them uh, into a trap, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Yeah. So they get to a point where, uh, like we said many times, there's there's the sea on one side, there's the uh, approaching Egyptian army on the other, um, and they're completely helpless. Mm-hmm. They can't. So so a, what you're saying is like this this movement of God of His people to a place where He knows they're not ready for war, but then also He takes them to a place where He's He shows them. He's the one who wins the war. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Yeah. He's the one who does it. Yeah. Not them. Yeah. And, and that's um, what it is to be prepared. That's actually to be ready for the war. That's It's right. to realize you can't do it. That's right. Um, to realize yeah. God is the war winner, right? Yeah. Not us. And and he has to bring us to that place of complete, like, oh, I can't, like, lack of dependence on self. And even in the story, Egypt doesn't have dependence on God. Right, you know what I mean? Like they don't have displayed dependence on God at that point. They're mm-hmm. freaking out, thinking we're going to die, and God's still, Israel. Uh, yeah, sorry, Israel. Yeah, <laughs> not Egypt. Thank you. Good correction. <laughs> good. Very it's good. A different correction. story. Yes, different story. Uh, of course, Egypt doesn't have dependence on God, but but even Israel is not showing dependence yet. God still uh, uh, rescues them. And 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 I'll say this, and Bob, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I've shared this a couple of times this week in smaller groups, but. Uh, uh, there was a song that just happened to come on the radio um, while I was driving uh, with the kids in the car, a couple of my daughters, and the lyric, one of the lyrics in the song was that God moves mountains. And uh, of course, the, the the writer of the song is intending for that to be, you know, mountains that are in our way, God's going to move those, which obviously, sure, yeah, I mean, and, and do we long for that? Yes. Can God do that? Yes. Um. It's interesting, though, how in that moment, how the Lord pressed those lyrics into me was the opposite of what the the author of the song intended, which is, I thought, yes, God moves mountains, but he moves them in front of us, oftentimes. Sometimes he'll move them out of our way. But more often than not, God's more interested in moving mountains in front of us to take us out of the easy path, to take us out of the comfortable path, to put us in a position where we have to say, God, you got to move here. You got to do something. Not not so much you, you got to move the mountain, although that would be great, but I, I can't do anything here. It's it's It puts us in this place of radical dependence upon him, as we often say here. So uh, it, that's a thought that I'm having alongside what you're sharing there, Caleb, of how God takes them the route that they wouldn't have, have expected to get them to a place to where they see that he's the one who does the work. He's the one who wins the war, so to speak. So, yeah, Bob, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I really think the main thing I get out of Exodus, you guys have both brought these things out 
just tremendously in your sermons is that what I want God to do is deliver me out of my hardships and out of my suffering. And it's easy to look at the book of Exodus that way. And it's been preached that way by a lot of people. You know, God wants to take you away from the things that you're suffering. And uh, but you look at what it's really all about, and this is a deliverance unto salvation in the oppression of sin. And always uh, we interpret the Old Testament by the New Testament. And to me, what, what is said in Hebrews 3 and 4 about Jesus being the greater Moses and what he's leading us to is the New Testament's way of telling us what the Old Testament is about here and what Exodus is about. And it says there that uh, be diligent to enter into God's rest. And we're tempted to say, well, this rest is heaven. And to some degree, that's true. The rest of glorification, end of time, Jesus comes back, new heavens, new earth. It is God's rest. But really the picture is just entering salvation. And you say, well, wait a minute. If God doesn't take away away from my hardship, but he's promised me rest, how do you put those two things together? And the answer is we find our rest in Jesus. It's not in our circumstances. He brings a peace to our hearts. You know, come to me all weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And that's the idea of this book. And in fact, the, the great classic hymn, Jesus, I'm resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Simply trusting thee, Lord Jesus, I behold thee as thou art, and thy love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. And that's what this book is really all about. Finding a source of rest in Jesus doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We don't have to become embittered or led to unbelief because life is hard. We find our peace and our rest in Jesus. And that's what he's delivering us toward. And think about how often, and this is just beyond the book of Exodus, but how often we see the theme in the Old Testament of the wilderness and and where, where and when do the people of God most keenly see their need to be satisfied in God alone. It's in that times that he takes us into the wilderness. I was reading this morning in Psalm 63 where David is on the run from Absalom, his son, who's wanting to kill him for the kingship of, of Israel, uh, of the throne. And, and David's in the wilderness of Judah and he's thirsty. He's literally thirsting. And he says, and he, my soul longs for you uh, like, like a, um, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, and then he says in verse four that, that he would be satisfied alone in the Lord, right? That in God alone will I be satisfied. And you think, well, there was a literal and a figurative, a figurative and a literal uh, aspect to what David was experiencing there, that he was literally in the place of, of dryness, but that oftentimes spiritually, that's where God takes us to where we realize, man, he's the one. Yeah, He's the one in whom my soul most longs and needs. And you even see that same type movement, right, of what God's doing with the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Why is he drawing them out? Why is he bringing them through yeah. the Red Sea uh, and into the wilderness so that he can be their God and they can be his people, right? So, well, my, so there's a one of my favorite passages of scriptures in Jeremiah 31 where uh, <clears throat> God's speaking to Israel and they've just been sent into exile 
And it says in verse two, the people who survived the sword, basically the ones who've survived this, they've been removed from their land. They've been brought into a foreign land. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Like the wilderness is faithfulness. The wilderness is the place where God exposes our need and his sufficiency. And it's that Exodus pattern, which again, you just keep talking about that. It shows up everywhere. It shows up in the exile. It shows up in the New Testament. Um, but uh, I think that's a that's a motif that's that's all through the Bible, and and I think is one that's important for us as believers to, to lay hold of. Amen. And and let's let's dig a little deeper into that. Part of that motif, part of that rhythm that we see throughout the Old Testament with Israel. And then of course we get to the New Testament. We see that the church is a new Israel. We see ourselves in Israel. Um, one of the things that you see over and over again with Israel that we begin to see right here, right as we begin to, to wrap up part one of our teaching through Exodus, we'll do part two next fall, but you get into chapter 15 and right away, you see a, a, the beginning of a rhythm for Israel, which is that of grumbling, All right? So you get, <laughs> you get the, the, the unimaginable deliverance through the Red Sea and three days later, you know, we're not saying three months. We're not talking, you know, half a year or a year. We're Three days later, they're grumbling. And they're saying to Moses, why did you bring us out here to kill us in the, in the wilderness? We would have been better off in Egypt. And they've so quickly forgotten who their God is and what he's capable of and so forth. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. I'll give some thoughts as well. But when you think about that pattern of grumbling for Israel, what do you think? I, th- I think that's why this book is so practical. You know, somebody says, oh, gee, Exodus, this story from long ago, how's it relevant? Oh, you just keep going to back, Jesus, 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 gospel, gospel, gospel. It's just as relevant as why I hate my hardships and I could be tempted to grumble. I start grumbling against God and grumbling against other people that cause me hardship. And before long, I'm leading myself and other people into more and more unbelief by my grumbling and my my unbelief that God is in charge of this and he knows what he's doing. And I don't know about you, that's what I live every day of my life. You know, as much as I know this in my head, when I experience the hardships, I'm still tempted to not believe that God's in control, that he loves me, and I'm still tempted to gripe and grumble. <laughs> so it's yeah. very practical yeah. in terms of where we live life. Yeah. Yeah. You look at Israel and you go, how could you grumble three days after you saw the Lord split the Red Sea? And you and then you look at your own heart. Yeah. And you yeah. go, oh, well, yeah, that's that's me. Well, you look at the, I mean, the pattern of any of the major biblical figures. You know, Elijah has that whole thing with the prophets of Baal where God secures his major victory. And the next thing you know, he's down by himself asking God just to take his life. Yeah. Like, kill me. Kill me now. It's such a dramatic right. yeah. change. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I read this story and I think of it, you know, I've got three little kids and any parent of small kids knows that if you go on any kind of road trip and the grumbling starts in the first five minutes, you're in for a long day. Like it's, it's going to be miserable. Yeah. And Israel makes very clear that this is going to be a long and painful trip. Like very quickly, it's grumble, 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 grumble. And yet God's faithfulness, he's not like me in a car trip where I just start losing my mind. <laughs> he's, yeah. God is faithfully and graciously pursuing 
pursuing them throughout and, and not ever going, I think I'm going to leave you here by the side of the road. <laughs> he keeps not that you've them. done that with your girls. No, whatsoever. no, no, no. <laughs> not that I've ever left one of my girls by the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But let's make that clear. Yes, that yeah. has not happened. Um, but you know, Caleb, even to your point about yeah. the, the nature of God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even right there in, in, in Exodus 15, they're grumbling so quickly. Yeah. And, and God doesn't, doesn't really rebuke them. He says, yeah. he tells Moses, hey, see that log over there? Throw it in the water. It'll make the water turn sweet. Water turn sweet. He provides for them. Yeah. They grumble again in chapter 16. God provides. They grumble again in chapter 17. God provides. It, to whereas my inclination would to be would, would, would be to just go, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are, <laughs> yeah. like, I've done all this for you and yeah. you're going to still complain and not trust in my ability to provide for you? And uh, and so you already see so clearly that God is a God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and patience. You see the character of God in yeah. a unique way in the midst of the grumbling, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a God who is on this pursuit to rescue his long lost bride, to redeem her, to marry her, to make him his own, make her his own, and in so doing, to, to crush the very face of evil. Satan himself, why? So that he can be with her for all of eternity. What, when we grumble, what are we doing? We're grumbling against what God is longing to do and to bring us into this beautiful marriage story of, uh, of the kingdom of God. And so with that, let me, let me address a couple of the questions that we got that, uh, that people uh, submitted. One is, uh, how do we study the Old Testament, guys? Um, somebody wrote in and just said, when you're thinking about the Old Testament as a whole, not just Exodus, it can be hard to understand. Most people who are reading their Bibles are gonna go straight to the New Testament because it's easier to understand. Uh, what are points of advice, tips, whatever we may call it, um, to, uh, to ga- engage as just a casual Bible reader and studier with the Old Testament? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, you know, if you're saying I'm coming at this casually, maybe I'm even a beginner, I think the best place to start would be familiarize yourself as best as possible with the historical books, the f- first five books of the Bible and the books that are telling the story of Israel. And then begin to figure out where the prophetic books and all those begin to fit into that story. And and the, one of the greater ways to, to really help you in, uh, introduce you to these kind of things is find a really good study Bible. Uh, like, you know, as, as pastors here, you know, each, each one of us has, has been to seminary. We've gotten training for that, but I guarantee you every single one of us for every sermon we prepare for, we're going to a study Bible uh, because they're just a great resource that gives you the bare bones foundational information that helps you understand what's going on in the text. And so my encouragement would be, as you're trying to learn how to read the Bible holistically, one, don't just read it at random, read it in chunks. Think about like reading through the historical books of the Bible, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, Make sure you're paying attention to the context, but look, get a good study Bible that'll help orient you as to what's happening in the book. What era is this taking place in? What's going on in the life of the people of God? Uh, What are the major themes of this book to be looking for? Uh, You know, one of my favorite study Bibles, and you guys may have other different ones here, but the, the one that I always point people to because it's the one I refer to the most is the ESV study Bible. Um, I think it's the best overall one on the market. There's a ton of study Bibles out there, and there's they all have their different strengths. But if you're looking for just a good 
this is going to give me the the building blocks to really understand the scriptures as I'm reading them. It's the best place to start that I've found. And I've looked at a bunch of them. I've got probably 15 of them in my library somewhere at this point. And Caleb, for our listeners, what does ESV stand for? English Standard Version. So that's a certain translation. It's a certain translation, yeah. So it, there are multiple. So like, for instance, you know, the first study Bible I was ever given, given was an NIV study Bible that my granddad gave me. Uh, that study Bible is built off of, was with scholars that were working on the New International Version of the Bible, but the ESV is built on the ESV translation. Um, so if you go and, you know, you're, if you try to get another translation of the Bible, you're not going to get the same study Bible. It's basically the long and short. And so you're saying not only is that a good translation of the Bible, it's a great you're saying yeah. the people that wrote the commentary on it, the introduction yes. to each book, telling you what the book's about, you yes. know, now, are I'm really good guys. Yeah. Because yeah. some of them were my professors. So it's kind of a... You know. <laughs> but it is good. I think it is good for our listeners to know, you know, we have a theological tradition in our yeah. church and that... Study Bible is written from that exactly framework. Yeah, others like the Schofield Study Bible or Ryrie Study yep. Bible would be different. We wouldn't recommend those, but that's a really good one. The ESV, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. I have that one as well and use it often. It's fantastic. Last question that I think is a good one is um, uh, so that for the sake of listeners who say, "Okay, I've heard a lot. How do we boil this down?" Um, how would we? Let's imagine that we have a let's just say a nine year old sitting right here with us. Um, and they say, what's, what's the book of Exodus about? How would we s- explain it to a child? Mm. Caleb, you've had three little girls. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I have two grandsons that I couldn't quite explain this to. The older of well, my two grandsons, I could try to explain it to I'll, a little bit. Uh, you, you, go, you go first. I'm, right now, I'm try, I've been trying and failing with my family to install uh, family worship. So we're like reading little passages <laughs> of scripture and trying to explain it. And just, just to make anyone else feel better that's tried to do this with their kids, I've got a, a five-year-old, two three-year-olds. I'm about to have another a newborn. Uh, it, it feels like failure most of the time, but I think God honors the small things, and so I'm going to keep plugging away at it. Amen. But if, if I was talking to my little girls about this, I think I would just, you know, bring up something that they understand, something they relate with. Um, you know, they they were born into this world in the care of a mommy and daddy that they, they trust, that fed them, that cared for them, but they didn't really know us. Uh, it, it only took time where they saw and related with us in action over years that they began to really know who we were. And, and if you have good parents, that deepens trust. It, it deepens intimacy. It deepens love. And in some ways, Exodus, this is the deepening of, of Israel's knowledge of him. This has been their God from the beginning, but in this moment, they're coming to know him as he is as a God who saves and who can save them from even the strongest of seeming enemies, a God who's compassionate and who cares, a God who is unlike anything else in this world, who doesn't lie, who doesn't change, who's holy, but also compassionate, who's powerful, but also gentle. Um, and you also get a picture of ourselves. And I'd probably look at my little girls and say something the effect of like what we just said with grumbling. Uh, how isn't it really hard to obey what mommy and daddy ask you to do? And usually the answer is they're pretty quick to go, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> Obeying's hard. Like Mary Neal is constantly telling me that obeying's hard. And I'm like, honey, you have no idea. It's going to get a lot worse, I promise. Um, but you look at Israel and that's what you see. Obeying's hard. Uh, trusting's hard. Uh, we want to go our own way. But we have a God who is gracious and who pursues strange sheep. And that's what you see in the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That's good. That's good. I think the only thing that I might add to that, although that was doesn't need to be added to, is um, that the book of Exodus, like all of the scriptures, keep pointing us to uh, the one. They keep pointing us to Jesus, keep pointing us to him as the rescuer, the one who um, obeys for us, the one who stands in our place and receives the wrath of the waters of judgment, if you will, upon himself. Um, So that not only do we uh, get forgiveness of sin, which is amazing, but we get brought in. We get brought into the family of God, not just for now, but for all of eternity. So uh, what good news, what good news. Uh, Thanks for joining us again. Uh, If you're maybe your first time listener, thanks for joining us for the first time. Uh, Our prayer, our hope is that this podcast would be a blessing as you live out a lifestyle of worship, uh, not not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And um, our prayer is that the Lord will use the discussions here in a life transformative way to bring kingdom flourishing in your life. Uh, Be sure to check out our um, our, our other perimeter podcasts, subscribe to those. If you have questions or comments for us, you can send those to digging deeper at perimeter.org. Lastly, head over to perimeter.org forward slash podcast where you'll find show notes on each episode, resources mentioned in the episodes, and key takeaways and questions. Um, we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us. We are grateful for you. <laughs>